This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, where we're having conversations about how to do good better and faithfully. Hello and welcome to The Better Samaritan. I'm Kent Annan, usually with my colleague Jamie Ayton, though unfortunately he can't join us today. But I am thrilled that we are joined by Peter Greer, who is president and CEO of Hope International and co-author of the new book, Lead with Prayer, The Spiritual Habits of World-Changing Leaders. And we love learning how to do good better with you who are listening, and we love learning how to do good better with Peter, and Peter, I think you're our first repeat guest on The Better Samaritan for good reason. And today we're going to be focusing on vocation. And I've so appreciated conversations with you and just watching Hope International from a distance and up close and even having some of our alumni do internships or hire a staff with you. So I just love how you work and discern with people who are trying to find God's call in their life and to do good work. And then you have your mission as Hope International. So thanks for being here. And I just love talking with you. So thanks for being here today. Well, I did too, Ken. No, so glad to have another conversation. Thanks. So here's the plan. I was going to ask you, I've been working on this thing because I have lots of vocation conversations, talking with prospective students, with students, people earlier, late in their career. And so I'm working on sort of like a rubric, my Venn diagram for vocational calling. So I thought I'd try it out on you. We'll see how if this works or not. So I was going to ask you six questions about your vocation. We'll just kind of take time on each. And then I want to ask you as someone who's leading an organization that I respect so much, how you, from your side, have insights into how other people can, you know, are applying for jobs and doing that. So that'll be the two parts of what we do today. So I want to start with these six questions that are pretty general, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm looking forward to getting to know you some through these. But the first is, what kind of work gives you joy? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is actually spending time with the people that Hope International gets to serve and hearing their stories and spending time with the global team, my colleagues, and going into every single one of those interactions, every single one of those conversations, knowing that I am going to learn or be stretched or be challenged by something. So I just love the opportunity to be part of a global team, part of a global mission, and to have that time learning with and from our global friends. Great. And so then break that down a little bit. You just, so it's like it's sort of collaboration, being close to the people you're serving. Yeah, what would be sort of like, what do you see in that answer? That's a super interesting answer. But you hear collaboration, time with people. What's within that that gives you joy, do you think? So I think about a couple of weeks ago, I was in the Dominican Republic with my colleagues and had the opportunity to spend time with one of the individuals that we are privileged to serve. So Hope International, we're a Christ-centered economic development organization, and we invest in the dreams of entrepreneurs as we proclaim and live the gospel. And so getting to spend time with one of them, and it was great, Kent. I mean, she and her husband started a church, had become over-indebted to some, yeah, kind of loan sharks, and really told the story about how the investment and the coaching and the friendship have been able to radically transform their family. And so, I mean, there's so much work that happens in a day-to-day basis, right? Mm-hmm. We're working on governance and budgeting and mm-hmm. planning. And sometimes you can feel the distance between right. what it's actually all about. And I guess 
those moments, I guess they stand out because it brings the significance to all the other moments that happen in between knowing that they are also a necessary part of that moment with that individual, with that family. And and she was great too, uh, Kent. She was selling clothes and she had this really wonderfully tacky Christmas sweater that I bought and I just, I wear it with so much pride on that. And I just, anyway, so yeah, I think that's what it is. It's because it reminds you what it's all about. It reminds you all the pieces contributes to this. And yeah, so I think that's part of it. And then the experience with my colleagues, the Mm -hmm. opportunity to be there and experience that with the individuals that are doing the work every week, showing up in that community, doing the coaching and training and and learning from them, like what actually works in the setting? Mm-hmm. What are the challenges you face and how can we support you in this work? And what are your dreams for your family, your future? So mm-hmm. anyway, I guess that's it. And I think, Ken, we're just surrounded and we're surrounded by these messages of what's wrong and what's broken. Here's mm-hmm. what's going on. And And those moments of hope, those moments of progress, those moments, yeah, I think it reframes some of the challenges too and reminds Mm -hmm. you that if you're only hearing the negative press, you're not hearing the full story because there is a lot of good that is also happening in the world. And yeah, so I love elevating those stories. I love the opportunity to see and celebrate what we believe God is doing around the world. For sure. That's great. I completely resonate with that answer. And I love having our Christmas party. We have our grad students over right before Christmas, my wife and I and our HDI team. And I get to wear my Grinch sweater like once a year for my ugly <laughs> sweater. So I also also resonate with that part. Uh, well, if I'm with a Hope client somewhere around the world and I see another sweater <laughs> and also be used once a year, perfect. I will. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect. Next question is, what breaks your heart? And thinking specifically in terms of this work you do, it seems like you do a lot of economic empowerment. It might be related to that or something else, but what breaks your heart when it comes to kind of the work that you're called to? Yeah. So, I mean, and you mentioned, you just mentioned her, you know, being like a loan shark and being right. you know, care provide for family. So it might be related to that. Yeah. I think there's two things that just for me in particular, the one is when you meet individuals that are on the pathway, they're making the progress. They're doing it. They're working so hard to provide for their families. And then there is something that happens that is just so unjust. So I was living in Zimbabwe when there was this operation that went through low-income neighborhoods and all of the shopkeepers and literally just bulldozed them. Hmm. And oh, what that meant for the families that we were trying to help in a moment, that erasing of what had taken them years to build in such a way that was so clearly, there was no justice in the decision that was made or how it was actually done. And so that breaks my heart when you see people on the pathway, they're doing it, and then something happens. And whether it is a situation like that, or some sort of a hurricane or typhoon or something that we had a bunch of families that we served that had a a mudslide that took away their homes and or a market that burned to the ground and individuals had their life savings invested in this place. So those types of situations can't, I mean, that breaks my heart. And then the, the second piece is maybe upstream from that a little bit, but it breaks my heart, especially traveling around the world. When I come back to the US and I find people that have literally everything that they could want and have no peace in that 
or have bought the lie that there is going to be meaning and satisfaction in accumulation and consumption alone. And mm-hmm. my heart breaks for that too yeah. uh, as well. So yeah, those are the two that come to mind. What kind of problems do you like to solve when you think about your job week to week? You know, it's like sort of intellectually engaging for you, but what kind of problems do you like to solve? I think the ones that, you know, as hope has grown over the years, people are complex. And (laughs) with the Hope International team, we have about 1,500 full-time employees. So I guess the problems that I like to solve, again, maybe there's the two sides of this. I love trying to solve a problem of how can we better care for our team? How can we help invest in their dreams and the future? How can, if someone spends their career working with Hope International, how can we make sure that they and their family are provided for? And what does that look like to engage, to have a highly talented, highly motivated, highly dedicated team around the world? So I like thinking about that. How can we keep growing Mm -hmm. in that? So One just recently is how can we help our staff have a home? In many of the places that we serve, there is Mm -hmm. no such thing as mortgages for most individuals. So what would it look like for us to find a creative way of having that as an additional way of caring for staff and hopefully eventually caring for the families that we serve? So anyway, that type of problem I enjoy. And then the other- I can interrupt for a second. So will you be doing sort of employee loans or how are you going to try to solve that problem? It is too early, Kent, for me to publicly go on the record, but I'm super excited. We are going to be piloting something in the very, very near future. Great. No, I love that you're working on that. That's a great example of like a systemic problem. And I'm sure it takes lots of thinking it through legally, like all these different aspects. Right. So that's a, yeah, a great example of trying to solve a problem that's really meaningful for your team. Yeah. And then maybe on the other side, I thinking about how do we navigate some of the real complex issues? So when a supporter is not feeling fully communicated with or engaged in the right way? And how can we understand where was their misaligned expectations and what can we do? And or some of the global issues that come up? Yeah, how do we navigate those issues? And I think the reason that I enjoy is the wrong word, but find energy is because it is difficult. It is complex. There is no simple answer. And we get to be with a group of people that I fully trust their competency and their heart to figure out what is the right solution in this. So, so grateful. I'm, I believe you've had time with our chief operating officer, Jesse Kasler, but we've worked mm-hmm. together for almost 20 years, just full trust. And yep. Rachel Spear Weaver, who leads our HR team, just brilliant in what she does and how she engages the global team. So I think it's more the camaraderie, the teamwork mm-hmm. in dealing with complex situations that there are are no easy answers to a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah, very good. And what strengths have others recognized in you that you work hard to develop? So kind of two-part strengths that you have and then strengths that you like to develop. I guess I should say here are a couple of strengths I recognize in you, but I don't know if these ones are the ones others do just in, you know, being such a good communicator, clear thinker, and then having this mission focus and we use your mission drift book in one of the classes I teach, but yeah, I I really appreciate that about you, but I know you have lots of other strengths that others would see day to day. But, and I asked this around vocation because thinking, Oh, what do, you know, as people discern their own vocation, what do they see in themselves where strengths, but also they want to be strengths that you kind of lean into. So yeah, be interested to hear how you would answer this question. Well, that's super kind and encouraging. Kent. (laughs) Thanks. I'm sharing that. Yeah. You know, I guess the two, And I think there are certain aspects of 
you know, we are wired differently, right? We are wired by our creator uniquely. And I love that. I had one individual that I was working with in a coaching uh, relationship and he talked all the time. His name is Dave Jewett, but he talked about your one degree. Like, how do you keep over your career finding places that really are in alignment with the way that God has gifted you and keep changing that tact over time? Like, you are finding the way that you are uniquely wired. And as you do that, you will tend to enjoy what you do and find greater delight in the doing of it. And so I think about what are those things? And maybe the one that comes to mind is, you know, I think I am kind of the combination of curious. Like, this is really what's behind the writing projects, Ken, is Mm -hmm. understanding here's a challenge that I'm dealing with and had a lot of conversations. I know other people are dealing with it and claiming Mm -hmm. absolutely not to be an expert but to be curious about finding out some creative solution. So I think that curiosity really is what fuels a lot of that and, and hopefully lots of questions and the patience to listen to people. Kind of the opposite of what I'm doing right now, Kent, because I want to ask you a bunch of questions. <laughs> and and then that, so maybe that curiosity. Yeah, but part of like for me, because I think we're similar in some of these ways, and that we can be serious and we're both a little bit silly as well. We like to laugh together. But, you know, I think that curiosity too, which is why we started this, the Better Samaritan, and we, we even thought, oh, name it when we want to be clear as we do this, as you said about your book project, oh, this isn't because we think we're better Samaritans because we want to keep on learning how to be better Samaritans and and not just like learning for other people, but myself. I want to learn how to, you know, be a better Samaritan. So no, I love how you, you answered that. My curiosity comes through in how you keep on improving and learning and growing as a leader and then the writing projects you take on. Yeah, I can see how those would help you and what you do, but it clearly benefits me and many other people as well. So the minute yeah. that we believe that we have mastered a subject is the moment when we stop learning, we stop growing. Mm-hmm. And so how do we have mm-hmm. that active curiosity in the way that we lead? That's great. How can you help others in a way that is effective? So that's the way I asked the question in some other conversations. You're farther along in your career, but I think would ask it a little bit more generally. Like, so you keep on thinking okay, hope could go in this direction. And then, you know, Peter, as yourself, like I could put my time in this way, but how do you discern those questions of how to be most effective and help? Because there are lots of things you could do. Maybe that addresses what breaks your heart, that gives you joy, that are solving problems that are stimulating, but you want to make a difference. So what kind of questions or factors do you bring into your mind when you discern, okay, how am I going to do this in a way that really makes a difference for people? Uh, I think the great challenge for organizations that do the type of work that we're focused on is that you start to see related needs and you start to try to do Mm -hmm. too many things and you end up doing everything with mediocrity. And so I am so grateful for a board and for a team that has intentional blinders on and said, we are going to limit our intervention set to a small number of things. We're going to do church-centered savings groups. We're going to help people save and mobilize capital and do it with and through the local church. And we're going to have Christ-centered microfinance institutions, financial institutions that allow individuals a safe place to save money and then to receive investment capital. And so we really have blinders on. And so I guess what's the challenge? think it's just this recognition that when you start doing this work, you start to see all of these related issues. But what if we also could do? And so I think for us, the posture has been, yeah, let's keep looking for those other areas. And then let's look for the other organizations that are addressing them. And let's have conversations. Are there ways that we could collaborate or work together to do more together than we could do alone? So 
I love that. Focus, hyper-focus, and open hands to collaboration. I think that's a pretty powerful combo. I love that combo. In one of my classes, it's called NGO Leadership, but students start and they build an NGO throughout the semester. You've guessed you zoomed into that class before. And one of the things that happens is people start doing this, they find the problem, then there's the students, and then they start seeing interrelated problems. And it's going to be like first year, you know, with like a minimal budget, a couple hundred thousand dollars, like as an idea. And their mission statement would kind of eclipse that of world vision, you know, at two or three billion dollars. And so then it's that learning of like, oh, yeah, that's great because you want to understand the big picture, you know, have this like your theory of change and how all this happens. But then how do you narrow down? And then how do you partner well, which you do really well? And then you can be really good contributor and you can address the big problems. But you, yeah, you don't just become mediocre at everything. Last question. So question number six, how have you discerned this? I imagine this has changed some over time. Compelled to help. Are you compelled to help a specific area, kind of geography and issue and or people group? You know, for you, it's, yeah, I'd be interested. Yours is economic and you're working in Ukraine and Haiti and other countries. But how have you kind of come through that path of who you're called to help? Is it a geographical area? Is it a certain issue? How have you discerned that in your own calling? Yeah, I mean, certainly the lens of the issues, that's where we start. And then in terms of geography, we you know currently serve in 24 countries. And the way that we choose when we're going into a new country is looking for those places where there's high need and low service. So meaning if there's a bunch of other organizations that are already doing similar work, why would we go there? So we really try to find those underserved areas with, mm-hmm. for the types of tools that we have. And then the third component is you can identify those pieces. You can look on paper, but then it really is also then looking for, and where are the invitations? Looking for those church denominations that say, we've been waiting, we've been looking for something like that and really go where we're invited and not go where we're not uh, very clearly invited as a common courtesy in the way that we approach this work as well. But the last thing I would say, Ken, is, you know, that's great, 24 countries, but do you know how many places there still is unmet need? That is a long list. And so kind of our organizational DNA is it's just not about Hope International. So we open source our materials, give everything away, and we have a separate part of Hope that does basically consulting services for other NGOs that would want to implement some similar tools like the Church Centered Savings Group. And then how can we just give everything away? How can we train, support, equip other organizations? And that's been really fun to be in partnership with a bunch of other organizations and and watch them grow and innovate and look for ways of advancing, yeah, their mission as well. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate that about you, Peter. It must be others on your team as well. Like when you invited, it was, I went with, I think for two or three other leaders when I was co-leading Haiti Partners and went to your office for a day. And I think you've done it for lots of different organizations as well. And we just spent, you know, spent a day walking around, hearing how you do systems, you know, meeting with, you know, time with you, but time with five or six other people and just spent a great day. And I just loved how generous you were in wanting to have this bigger impact in serving God's kingdom, serving people who are hurting. And yeah, I just want to mention how much I appreciate that generosity that you have, where your curiosity is not just for your own benefit, but for others. And so as we transition into part two of this conversation, I will just mention to everybody, yeah, you can tell if you haven't heard Peter talking before, I do recommend all his other books as well, like the 
no, oh, see, I don't have them written down, so I'll hopefully I'll get the titles right. But books like Rooting for Rivals, which is about some of these kind of collaborations, and the board and the CEO. How do you think about structure and then mission drift? How do you some of that? What you talked about, like being hyper focused, be really good as you collaborate. So I do recommend you know go to Amazon or your favorite bookseller and uh, look up Peter's name and whatever problem you're working on. I'd recommend if he's written on it, it's definitely worth reading. Want to transition now and ask Peter, yeah, thanks for walking through that and think about somehow you've discerned and it gives us insight into how we can discern, you know, early in career or middle career or leading an organization, this vocational path. And now thinking, oh, you have about 1,500 people on your team. You said you've hired lots of people over the years. You've learned from that. And we have a lot of people who, who listen and we work with who are early in their career. So I'd love to ask some questions for you about what is an organization looking for? as part of this vocational discernment. So when you're doing a hiring process, say, oh, should we hire this person? And let's like run through a few different questions and think it's valuable to, you know, because I'll have students say, okay, well, what, you know, what are they going to do? What's in the first interview? What is this? So I'll ask you some of those questions <laughs> and put you on the spot. So how does an org, I know for you, Colton, you've written about this, a culture is really important. So starting with the question, how do you look for cultural fit as an organization? So talk about from the organization side, but, you know, for the benefit of the person who's going to be applying, you know, to a job with hope or for someone else. Yeah. And again, this is part of the open-handedness, but any of our systems that we have in our recruitment, if other people have an interest, we're so happy to share it. But there is a thoughtful and thorough process that our HR team goes through. I can tell you just personally, when I have the privilege of having conversations I'm basically looking for three things and keeping it super simple. But one is attitude. And that includes like, is this just a job? <laughs> or mm. what is it in their life demonstrates like this is something that I just so believe in. I want to be a part of and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. You know, when you have people that come in with very clear, well, this is the only area that I will do <laughs> that to me. Mm -hmm. Is not the right person for hope. It's an all hands on deck. It's mission comes first. It's whatever is required to do the job. That's on the bottom of every job description. And it's really important on that. So mm -hmm. attitude first, aptitude. We want people that are going to have a demonstrated like high capacity to perform on that. They're going to be driven. And again, those two are so related. When you believe in the mission, is this someone who's going to really do everything possible to see the organization thrive. So attitude, aptitude, and then work ethic. What is it in our life that makes us believe that this person is, yeah, going to have the ability to just jump in and do the work and do it really well? So that's what personally I'm looking for. And, you know, we have this wonderful internship and fellowship program. And perhaps not surprisingly, we have a lot of our senior leaders, myself included, that started as interns or fellows or doing research and just a great way to get mm -hmm. to know the organization. And yeah, very rarely do we make kind of hiring mistakes when there's this experience working together. And Kent, every single one of your recommendations, by the way, has been a 10 out of 10. So thank you for that. <laughs> that matters too, like having those trusted friends that right. can say, mm -hmm. this is an extraordinary, this was not an average student. This was yeah. someone who really gets it. And mm -hmm. you know that at the end of a semester yeah. long class, yeah. you can identify that as well. Yeah, that relates to anyone listening, the importance of networking, not in sort of a transactional sense, so there could be a sense where you're helping each other out. But I think that sense of getting to know each other and letting other people who are mentors or teachers or colleagues in your life get to know you and being 
generous and then performing well because you know part of how you know you would discern it would just be one factor but you know aptitude and you know work ethic for example of those and attitude really all three that you mentioned was i can write about one of our students i saw all three of these demonstrated like for a semester and you know she collaborated great and like her work is like fantastic high quality of work and she and she put in the work she went above and beyond in it you know so yeah just to to discern for people it's you, you don't you never want to hold back until the job it's just every step of how you're doing your work or you're studying and whatever you're doing just ripples out and hiring is so important to make such a big difference people want to want to hear that from other people yeah, and they, they are some great folks, and I love sending them sending them hopes way as well. Keep doing it, Ken. Please keep doing it. <laughs> That's great. I love how you broke those three down. Another one, thinking especially for people earlier in their careers, so demonstrating these can be a little bit harder when you're earlier in your career. You know, like aptitude and your work ethics. Like I'm ready to work. I worked hard in college, but you know, either right out of college or or a couple years in. Have you? Do you have any advice for how to show these? You kind of demonstrate these things when you're early in career when it's a little bit harder to demonstrate them. Yeah. I mean, so there certainly is, especially early in the career, those trusted references matter in that people that mm-hmm. can speak on your behalf of those things, that, that certainly matters. But I guess the other piece that is completely in the control of an individual is, you know, when someone's prepared for an interview, Ken, that you know, when someone shows up and the piece that drives me it surprises me. You get to the end of the formal interview. What questions do you have or how could I be of any help? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't think of anything. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing you can think of that <laughs> would be of interest. <laughs> and conversely, you show up and you've got the questions that are very clear and you've done your research mm-hmm. and you know who you're meeting with and you know enough mm-hmm. about their backgrounds. It's clear. That makes mm-hmm. a difference. Mm-hmm. And that shows. Yeah, that yep. shows attitude, aptitude, and work ethic. It, it shows whether or not you really want to be there. It shows whether or not you have taken the initiative. I remember one person, just as a case study, who was looking at a graphic design, and forget the question, but she said something like, yeah, well, would it be okay if I showed you? I was thinking about that. Would it be okay if I showed you kind of some initial thoughts? And she oh, pulled the that. tablet out and went through this really creative way. And uh, I mean, I think the job offer might have been extended on the spot, right? Because you just, you can tell (laughs) that someone who had taken the initiative creatively found a way and that stands out. So Mm -hmm. I would spend, if you get to the final stages of an interview, it is worth the extra time doing your research, preparing questions, showing up prepared. That stands out. That's great. Yeah. And to build on that's so well described, Peter, I was thinking, I was doing that with some with my daughter, you know, starting to do college interviews or some of them. And it's like, oh, yeah, do that. But then, and then for jobs like this, like to not just do the homepage, you know, of the website, but I think you just, you know, repeating back what you're saying, but going deeper in the annual reports and what are trends and what's something that connects with something, you know, the role that you're interviewing for, like going deep, like spending some hours, you know, to be ready and then being ready with, you know, a few questions that tie in and still being yourself is, is great advice that, yeah, anyone when I was hiring as well, you know, that just any of us are going to take that seriously. It really helps you to jump up. Yeah, well described. So thinking about that, what are, so with then, I'll build right on that because I think I've actually had students ask me that before. So what are some good questions? So it's like researching in that, but I think students are sometimes thinking, okay, first, second, third interview, do I 
you know, one thing you don't ask in the first interview is how much time off you can get and if you can extend it. But, you know, what are questions that you find helpful in that? I think that what you just shared about the student with graphic design, like, oh, I did some work on this. Do you mind if I show you? That's a great example. Anything else that in that part that the interviewee can ask, like types of questions that you find especially intriguing? Like, oh, that's an insightful question. Like, yeah. What are some, I didn't ask my question very well. So, but no. Yeah. What are kind of categories of appropriate, not appropriate and categories of, oh, they're really thinking along the right lines here. Right. Yeah. Well, Ken, I feel like the example that you just gave, if the Mm -hmm. questions are primarily about what's in it for me, Mm -hmm. those are important issues, right? You care about how much vacation you care about compensation, Mm -hmm. you care about other benefits. Those are important. They're all in the employee manual. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. And by the third interview, they should, yeah, if the organization hasn't started to make that clear, that's a different problem. Yeah, right. So those questions would not be the right ones. If most of the questions are me-centered questions, Mm -hmm. that does, that signals something to a potential employer. Conversely, if it is mission-centered questions, that signals something as well. And oftentimes, you know, simple questions, when you're meeting with the individual, I can see you have been here for a number of years and I can see on your LinkedIn profile, you've had several different roles. I would love to hear what keeps you here. What motivates you? Why did you say yes to be part of this? Mm -hmm. That shows I've done my homework. I'm really interested in you and I'm really curious. What is it that keeps you there? And you know, similar questions to do enough that you can't see the answer on the homepage. What mm-hmm. countries are you in? Not a good mm-hmm. question because you right. can just go on the website and see yep. where we serve. How do you choose where to expand? Like you just asked, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. What have you found? Anyway, those yep. are the pieces that right. I think are really interesting. So when it's focused on the other person, when it's focused on the mission, those things stand out. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, really good advice. Next, I wanted to ask you, I'm thinking especially about your new book that just came out, which I really love the concept and approach you took of, so the title again, Lead with Prayer, the Spiritual Habits of World-Changing Leaders. And you've had conversations, you and your co-authors, conversations, interviews with leaders around the world about prayer. How does prayer come into this process? So thinking about, you know, both from the employer side, but also the potential employee side, Praying about it is a good advice, but go look, you go a little bit deeper, like what you've learned about the book and how that could apply to someone who's kind of in this vocational discernment process. Ken, this process of working on this book with Ryan Skoog and Cameron Doolittle and Jill Heisey has been such a gift. It has had a profound impact on my prayer life, on the prayer practices of Hope International. And I was such a reluctant co-author on this one. <laughs> But again, that principle of not writing from a place of mastery right. or expertise, but, oh, I want to be on the journey. I want to learn what that looks mm-hmm. like and learn from global leaders and say, how have you been able to incorporate that? What does that look like in your life and in your leadership? And Kent, the people that said yes to interviews were just remarkable. I mean, I so, so grateful. And some, you know, well-known Francis Chan and John Mark Homer and John Orberg and Johnny Erickson Tata, people that just were really gracious in helping us understand their prayer life. But then also the global church has so much to teach us about that. But one of the concepts that, you know, is not a new concept, but this idea of practicing the presence. And yeah, certainly there's so much to do to explore those deep and significant times of 
prayer, but then also how do you have that as a regular conversation throughout the day? One of the individuals that we talked with talked about, you know, having a phone conversation, but never hanging up, (laughs) just having it as a regular piece. And in the moment, in those interviews, God, would you help me to see and to discern? Would you help me to know what it looks like to encourage in this moment and help me to listen well? And then even if it's appropriate, depending on your context, but the very offer at the beginning, may I pray for you? Because it's a discernment process both way. And if this Mm -hmm. is not the right spot... (laughs) Would you please make that clear? So anyway, I just think there's so much more to prayer. Yeah, there's so much more to discover. And not just in kind of those moments of significant getting away retreat, but also weaving it into the day-to-day. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey. This might get in trouble for saying this, but I was just thinking another subtitle maybe you could have used for your book, like prayer as a butt dial. You know, sort of leaving the leaving, leaving it open all the, all the time. So I'm pretty sure a publisher would have thought that that's not the right title. But I love the idea. I, that might be a blog we might have to do. Right there we go. There you go. I'll come come up with your serious when you need me for serious subtitle <laughs> ideas. I'm always available. Just a text away. No, but I love that. But it is like that. Yeah, this open conversation is great. And thinking about. This vocational discernment, I like that too, thinking what we've been talking about that. I like that, and I think I've experienced that in my life, that there's not this, it's not like a presentation I have to make to God of, oh, here I come, I've got like three to seven minutes to present my vocational needs, and I hope I present it correctly and have my PowerPoints in order and say it in the right way, and that this thing that feels exciting but anxious and heavy of if the right doors are going to open, you know, then I would see if God answers. But instead, it can be this conversation of, oh, God, I'm excited about this. And a little later in the day, I'm feeling anxious right now. Be with me. And a little bit later, like, oh, I'm working on this resume. And it's, you know, it's hard to do it. Just give me peace to be thinking clear. But yeah, I just love how you, yeah, what you described and thinking, oh, we can walk in this and that God wants joy for you and for me and for each person listening to find their calling and to to and it's not always going to be easy and there are going to be ups and downs but that god's with you through this process and it's with through it all not just a i mean there are times for at least more formal prayer but this conversation where it's open just kind of goes along with everything you've been talking about and yes i can't the two kind of related thoughts on that the conversation with johnny erickson tata you know she suffered an accident diving accident and has faced incredible pain throughout her life. And God has not answered those particular prayers, right? But Mm -hmm. her prayer changed. She said, and when friends come and ask her to pray for something, she talks about how she spends no more than 20% of the time praying for that issue and spends the rest of the time praying that God would use it. God would be in it. God's Mm -hmm. Christ's comfort would be experienced. And that matches what the Apostle Paul prayed for too. He did not pray in all the prayers that we have of him. He never prayed for a change of circumstance. <laughs> he prayed in the midst of that circumstance. And ooh, that like will revolutionize your prayer. And mm-hmm. is it possible to experience presence and peace? And is it possible, as John Erickson said, that that actually is better? That actually is more miraculous. I've been thinking about that one a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's about good. How might it change the way that we pray? Very good. Very good. 
Peter, yeah, I, I love talking with you anytime we get to talk, whether it's over dinner or over a podcast. Any other advice, just kind of to close, any other thoughts? Or, and you know, I'll ask you one more question after this, but other advice maybe I haven't asked about as you think about people discerning and finding their way on their vocational path? Yeah, you know, the one thing that does come to mind, and, and Ken, I think for those of us that have you know, been in this work long enough, it's easy to tell our story as a way of ordered and sequential steps that led to where we are. And yet my guess for you and for me, if we went back to those particular steps in the moment, there's a lot more ambiguity and a lot more confusion. Right, <laughs> and totally. sometimes our stories make sense looking back than they do in the particular moment. And I remember for me, when I started after I graduated, I just so desperately wanted to get involved in international economic development and missions, sent my resume out to 10 different organizations and heard back from one of them, which was a little postcard saying, we'll keep your resume on file. The rest didn't even bother responding. I didn't even get an auto <laughs> like return. <laughs> and so I moved back home, lived in my parents' basement and felt like, oh, this is not what I thought. And I felt like it was a sideways move or a backwards move to get a job mm -hmm. in another place. But looking back, those years were incredible preparation, incredible mm -hmm. opportunity to work for another nonprofit and be in the finance team and have some experience that allowed me to be more prepared when that moment came for me than move to Cambodia and get involved with world relief. So I guess I would just say a little more patience, a little more grace, and if it's not clear, if you don't feel like it's linear path for your next step, I really do believe God is also in the working in whatever that other piece is. So be all there, be all present, do your work with the excellence and keep praying that at the right time, in the right way, those doors might open. So yeah, a little more patience and don't fully believe anyone who tells you their story without the seasons of question. Right has part of it. That's great. I like how you said that. I've thought of it in term, that part of it in terms like in my own life. And then looking back is like so much of my discernment came from being in action. You know, I think I wanted the wanted it ahead of time. It was being in action and being in a job that wasn't a perfect fit or something that the discernment and the skills and experience and developing work habit all came. So like kind of stay in action and often that that helps along the way. You just did this kind of in that answer. I was going to end with this, but just kind of so it's it's slight going back to the same question, but I'd love for you to just give like a final word speaking directly to someone. So I think you just said that, you know, sort of be patient. So I was about this particular aspect, but would love to just give you a chance to speak directly to anyone listening and to give your encouragement building off that this kind of big picture of what you've learned in your vocation, how God's been faithful to you through the ups and downs. And yeah, last word for you to, to speak to the person listening about their own vocation. Yeah, no, I think comes to mind is be patient in the process. Yeah. Be curious in the journey and be trusting that God is at work in ways that will make more sense when looking back on our life and be faithful in the small steps as well. Well, Peter, thanks for your the way you've been faithful and curious and kept on staying in action and in motion and sharing what you've learned with others and making a difference for many people around the world. So grateful for your work, grateful for your friendship, grateful to get to be doing, walking this path together with you of learning how to do good better, which we're really grateful for. Oh, thank you, Kent. No, I love being on the journey with you. And I'm a regular listener to the Better Samaritan podcast. So thanks for doing this and allow me to listen into the conversation. So, so much respect for you, Kent, and awesome, awesome to have time together again. 
Great. Well, thank you, Peter. And to each of you listening, uh, yeah, really just echo what Peter said. And may, may you continue to be faithful in your steps. May God be continue to be faithful to you as we seek to serve and love others and serve and love God step by step along the way. Thanks for being with us. And we will talk with you more soon. Hey, 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 hey,